Our Old Testament reading today is from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It can be found on page 178 in the Bibles we provide. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go to this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving them, and to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it all day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to it all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. For have I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that more that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. And all the men of valor among you shall pass armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, so that they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we so will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 31, and it can be found on page 1008 in the Bibles we provide. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Hope you kept your finger in Joshua because our sermon passage is going right back there. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24 can be found on page 178 in the Bibles that we provide. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. 
The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the two men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. Then if anyone comes out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days till the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all around the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told him all that had happened. They said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, please add to the reading of your word by your Holy Spirit that you may reveal yourself to us, that we may see you in a new way. Open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. And let us look at how you still make promises to your people even today, that we may claim and possess those promises and that we may live truly for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We've been blessed by some great preachers over the last couple of months who've given us kind of a wide perspective. We've been in a lot of different places, a lot of different passages, and it's been a great thing. But something we really want to do and long to do for these next weeks leading into Advent is to have some consistency, to have something that we know that we're going to be studying. So we're going to be studying the books of Joshua and Judges over the next 10 weeks. Now, the first thought you should say is, Joshua and Judges, seriously? Good question. Number two is, those are really long books. How are you going to do it in 10 weeks? Step one, I talk really fast. That's a good start. I'm just kidding. Come on. Step two, we're going to take a 30,000 like foot view. We're going to do this in big chunks to give you big themes and big understanding. And why we pick Joshua and Judges is because on our website, if you go on the sermon tab, if you wanted to like hear a sermon from like August of 2007, it's there, all of them. 
So all the way back to 2003, we have listed every sermon for the most part that's been preached at this pulpit. And in 15 years, there's not been a single sermon on either Joshua or Judges. So what we wanna do is give you some more of the Bible than you've been exposed to. Because what we find out, one of the biggest issues in our day for God's people is biblical illiteracy. The last poll that just came out, only 11% of Christians would say they've read the entire Bible. Not understand it, not know it, not studied it, read it. And part of the reason we did Joshua and Judges is if you've ever tried to read the Bible all the way through, I bet you didn't make it through Leviticus. <laughs> Genesis was great, Exodus was awesome, stories, Moses, and then Leviticus hit you. And you're like, what are we, why is everybody bleeding all the time? What's the deal with all that? And if you happen to make it through Leviticus, you hit numbers. And for half the book, it's just how many people were in every tribe. You're like, I don't care how many people were Reubenites. It just doesn't matter to me. So maybe some of you, most of you at that point go, now where's Matthew again? We're just gonna skip ahead. We're getting to the good stuff. So what we wanna do is give you a perspective. But one of the things that really kind of cut me to the core was um, Dawkins, I can't think of it, Richard Dawkins, who was like one of the most famous atheists, said that he is shocked at the biblical ignorance of God's people. A person who doesn't believe in God at all said he is shocked by how little that we know of God's word. And so that's our goal during this time is to give you a perspective on some books you probably have not studied or looked at before. But to help in that process, we have got this for you. You can't read it, it's a long way away. It says sermon discussion questions. We've got these cards that have questions for you after you leave here to discuss to think about God's word, to think about what you've heard from it and to apply it to your life. And that's for everybody. Whoever, 99.9% .9 of you are going to lunch after this. I don't know about the other 0.1%, but I'm assuming most of you will. Take this with you, talk about it. If you're by yourself, think about it. If you're with your roommates, talk about it. If you're with your husband or wife, talk about it. Kids, kids, this is for you. My goal is when you leave here after the sermon's over in 24 minutes, that you go after communion and go grab one of these cards out there and then you're in charge, okay? I put you in charge of lunch, kids. So at lunch, you get to ask the questions to mom and dad, got it? The point being, if all we're doing is hearing God's word and we're not learning how to apply it to our own lives, we're missing out. Now, the other thing, I've got a lot to have to accomplish here today, is context, most of us like the Bible in like chunks, like a verse on a mug. I like that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah. But we don't understand the context of where does that fit in the whole thing. Even books of the Bible, we like a book or a passage. If we can't see the full picture, we can never fully understand it. Like imagine that you had a novel, like a 50 chapter novel, and you decided to skip chapters 15 through 35 and just go 14, yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff happened that you have no clue. There's characters you got introduced that you're like, I don't know who this person is anymore. You know, I'm more visual. Let me give you a visual representation. Picture one. Picture one, there we go, It's a kid in a Pinewood kind of derby car, right? Having a good time, just kind of driving, probably not going very fast. He's got his goggles on, you know. We can make a lot of assumptions about him, right? Let's go to the big picture. No, he's being towed by an ATV in a race at the desert with cars. Where's his helmet? I mean, there's all these questions we need to start asking because we see the bigger picture. 
We wouldn't have thought of half of the things that are going on because we didn't see it. We saw one small part. Part two, picture next one. Flying baby. I don't know if it's superpowers. I don't know if like they're training them really young in the circus. I don't know what's going on. That baby A does not look very happy, but he is flying, right? There's nothing, there's no strings. Let's see the big picture. It's actually bad parenting. That's what it is. That's what you miss if you don't see the full picture. This was in the Patagonia catalog in 1994 about them throwing a baby over a crevice. There's actually an interview with like the person, the baby's now 25 years old, there's an interview, but let's move on. You don't understand if you don't see the big picture. How does that fit? If all you see is a flying baby, you've made a lot of assumptions. So for us, before we even get to Joshua, what you're saying, Andrew, just get on with it. I've got to give you context. It won't make any sense. You won't fully grasp or understand. So let's go back. <laughs> you're going to get... God created the heavens and the earth and he made Adam and Eve and he made these two people and they lived in perfect harmony with God. They had a place to live. And then sin enters the world and they are cast out from God's presence and they're cast out from their place where they belong. But they were cast out with a promise that there would be one who would redeem them. There'd be one who would destroy their enemy. There'd be one who would give them hope. And so that hope was passed down from generation to generation from Cain and Abel to Seth to all the way through to Noah till we get to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. And at that point, a promise is given. God gives a promise to Abraham and to his people that there will be a land for you. There'll be a place that you will belong. He tells Adam, leave your kindred, leave your people and go. And he leads him to show him this promised land. And he says, when in the future, the Amorite sin is fulfilled, I will give you this land your people will have this land. And so now the people of God had two promises. There would be a redeemer and there would be a land, this promised land. And it goes on, continues to be passed down until we find ourselves with Joseph. Joseph, who was sold into slavery, ended up being the second in command of Egypt. And what does he do? In that role, he ends up saving all of Israel. When there's a famine that's about to hit the entire land, Joseph brings all of Israel to live in Egypt, to protect them, to save them, to help them. But then after a couple hundred years, a new Pharaoh shows up who didn't know Joseph or anything that went on. And they put all the, the Israelites into captivity, into slavery, into forced work. And the people cry out because they know that there's a redeemer and because they know that there's a land. They know that there's a promise out there for them because they trust and believe in God. And God responds and God sends Moses to send them out. He has the plagues, these amazing wonders, the showing of God's hands led to the Passover, to the blood on the doors where the angel of death passed through, but passed over all of the Israelites. And they come out of the land and they go to the Red Sea and they're being pursued and God lets it. He parts the Red Sea and they cross over on dry ground while the waters come back over Pharaoh's army as they try to cross. And then they find themselves at the mountain of the law of God. God gives his law to Moses. He comes down to give it to them. And they're already in idolatry. They're so close, they can taste the land. And yet they can't help themselves but serve another God. And so God takes them through that to the promised land. They stand on the shores of the Jordan and they look over at what God had promised them. 
and they send spies, 12 spies, to go see the land. 10 spies come back and say, this land is full of giants. There's no way, we have no chance, we have to turn back. And two spies say, we need to trust God. God will provide, God will protect, he will help us. He's the one we can trust in. Maybe we're not big enough or strong enough or have enough might, but God is. We need to go. The 10 spies persuade all of Israel to the point that they want to kill Moses. And they say, we wanna go back to Egypt, back to slavery. It's better than this. And God gives them the desires of their hearts, as it were. He lets them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation has died off. And only two would be allowed from that generation to see the promised land. And one of them's name was Joshua and Caleb. They were the good spies who gave the good report and they would be allowed. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. The second time around, after 40 years, God did not abandon his people in the wilderness. He fed them. He gave them quail and manna. He gave them water. And one of the most amazing things in scripture, it says that their sandals never wore out. 40 years of wandering and God took care of them. And as we start this book, we find God's people with their feet firmly on the shores of the Jordan once again, looking out at this land that has been promised to them. And as we study and see how God works through this, today I just want us to look at two characters. There's two people in this, two people of faith. And my guess is almost all of us would fit into one of their two stories. We've got Joshua, we've got Rahab. So I want us to look quickly at Joshua and quickly at Rahab. Again, big, big picture. So Joshua, he's this good Jewish guy. He's got it all. He's known it. He's grown up in this. He saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw the plagues. He saw Moses come down with a shining face. He saw the disobedience of the people. He heard the promises, saw God's fulfillment. He saw all of this. He was Moses' number one assistant So he helped lead and guide through all of this. A good guy who got it, who understood, and yet was still afraid. We know because we'll find out later in the promises that God basically told him not to be afraid five times. You don't tell someone five times not to be afraid if you're not afraid. It doesn't make any sense. Think about it. He's going to be afraid. Would you want to follow Moses? Moses. Like the Moses, you're the leader after him. You don't want that, nobody wants that. But not only that, he's gotta lead these people to take conquest. These people who have not been into battle or to war very much. The whole generation of hardened warriors have now died off and we're gonna go fight armies with them. And then also, you mean lead these people You mean the ones that wanted to kill Moses and go back to Egypt and slavery, like those people, like those who you want me to lead. And God speaks tenderly to him and faithfully to him. And not just to him, but to also all of God's people. Four times in this passage, he switches from you to y'all, which we've talked about a lot, talking to them. And he says, there's a land that I promise you, but you've got to possess it. There's a promise, but you've got to believe it. And there's a word, but you've got to obey it. So quickly, let's go through that. 
There's this land. God says to Joshua and to the people, I have given you this land. It is yours. Wherever your foot goes will belong to you. No man can stand against you. This is your land. But will you go and possess it? That's the big word in all of this is this word possession. Will you take hold of the promise? There's a big difference between a promise and a possession. Will you take it on? And what I've always found very interesting is why Moses wasn't allowed to do this. Have you ever thought about that? Moses' sin was that he struck the rock twice to get water out. Now, there's times when I'm, you know, in a kind of that kind of mood that I'm like, God, that seems a little harsh. Really? But you gotta understand that God has a big picture. This little, a little thing like that fits into the big picture in this way. Who does, what does Moses represent? He represents the law. He was a lawgiver. God gave the law to Moses to give to the people. The law can never save us. The law can't take us where we need to go. It's a revealer, not a redeemer. It shows us our sin, but it shows us our need for a savior. Moses couldn't lead them in for that reason because they would never wanna have the misinterpretation that somehow I can be good enough to go into the promised land on my own. If I just follow the law enough, if I just obey enough or just do enough, that's not what happens. But you know what God does? Who, who does he send to the people to take into the promised land? Joshua, which is actually Yeshua, which in the New Testament, you've heard this name again before. It's actually Jesus. It's the same name. And it means Yahweh saves. This same name, what takes us to the promised land? Not Moses and the law, Yeshua. Yahweh is the one who saves. Yahweh is the one who can give us to the promised land, who can get us the promises that our hearts long for, that we've wished for, and not in some kind of magic genie sort of way, but that we long to be saved. We long to be with him. We long for this to make sense. And he saves us. Yeshua takes us to the promise. But you know what's so interesting is they never really possessed much of it. God promises them 300,000 square miles if you look at the description he gives here in scripture. The people of Israel only ever at their highest and best inhabited 30,000 of it. 10 percent of that that was promised to them. How much of us only claims a little bit of God's promises for ourselves? That he calls us to these big, amazing things, and I'm just too scared to take a step in faith. And I miss out on the blessings and promises he has for me. There's a difference between possessing and promises. They were promised the land, would they take possession of it? Would they go across? Would they do what was required? But with that was also the promises. But you gotta believe them. What does God say to, Moses, to Joshua over and over again? Be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So all this doubt that Joshua has, I'm not Moses. He's like, good, you don't have to be. But what made Moses, Moses was me. And I'm gonna be with you in the same way that I was with him. But I'll use your gifts, your abilities, your seeing of the world. I'm gonna use that. You don't have to be Moses, you just need to be you. 
and I'll be with you every step of the way. No one's going to be able to stand in front of you. Five times, like I said, he says, be strong, be courageous. The same words that Moses, his mentor, said at the end of Deuteronomy. But the question is, does he believe it? Will he put that into practice? Will he believe it enough to lead the people over? Because that's the question for all of us. Those promises remain, but will we do anything with them? And last thing, the word, but you gotta obey it. The first five books of the Bible, we call it the Pentateuch, was written by Moses. Moses wrote those for himself and wrote those for those beyond. So Joshua's one of the first people who had the Bible, as it were, at that time in his hands. The written word of Moses about the law of God. And God says, I've given it to you. You now have this book of the law, but don't just read it. Don't even just know it. You need to do some things with it. So you need to meditate on it. In the Hebrew, that word is mutter, like talking under your breath, like crazy people might do, or I do lots of times. Like just kind of talking about, talking, yeah, that's thinking, what am I doing? To meditate on it. That it should never leave our lips. It should always be on our lips. And that we need to obey it. Don't depart from it from the left to the right. Do what it says that you might have good success. That that's our call to God's word as well. I'm one of those people that remembers a lot of things that I probably shouldn't or don't want to. Like I'll watch a movie, I'll remember way many, like I'll quote it like later and I won't even mean to. Accidentally, someone will say a word and I'll just blurt it out. And I was working at a church before and I had a coworker who did the same thing. And so we challenged ourselves for a day. We said, let's see if you can talk only in movie quotes for the entire day. Whoever, waitresses, waiters, whoever, you have to find a movie quote to respond to everything. The sad thing is I did it easily. Like it wasn't even hard. But I say that now to my shame. Like I could still probably do that, but how often do I not do that with God's word? How often have I not hidden it deeply in my heart to that's the first thing on my lips rather than advice that I have or things that I think? We are supposed to meditate. on It should be always rotating on in your mind. It was so convicting for me this week to think about what I meditate on. It was so convicting this week for me to say, what's always on the tip of my tongue? What's always on my lips? Supposed to be God's word. This guy who had it all, who had the upbringing, who had all the advantages, and yet it still required him to take a step in faith, and God met him where he was to give him what he needs. Now quickly to Rahab. Rahab's the polar opposite of what we've got with Joshua here. She was a Gentile, not a Jew, She was an Amorite, which was the most wicked of the people, and she was a prostitute, which meant she sold her kisses for money, kids. This is who she is. And it's like crazy for us to think is why in the world is she even in this story? But what does God do for her? The first thing he does, he reveals himself to them. What does she say when the spies come to her? It's like, we know, I know that God's already given the land. We heard about what he did at the Red Sea. Keep in mind, the Red Sea happened 40 years ago and they're still talking about it. Later on in this book, we're gonna get into some places that people don't like. We talk about God's devoting to destruction different peoples and lands. It's like, gosh, that doesn't seem like the God that I know and love. He's given them 40 years to repent. They know, she knows, she is very clear in what she understands to know about God. And everyone else knows, but she's the only one who responds. 
They know what's about to happen. They know this God, and yet they do nothing. We know what you've done. We know how he's taken care of you. We know how he's led you here. We know what's about to happen. She trusted and believed that in herself. She had no Bible. She had no one to preach to her. God revealed himself to her and to all the people of Jericho. Even more than that, you want to talk about grace. The promise to Abraham was 420 years ago. For 420 years, he stayed his hand of wrath on the people, giving them a chance to repent. But now the time had come, the fulfillment of their sin. But he's revealing himself to Rahab, showing her, do you believe these things about me? Because the next thing he does, he provides salvation for her. Let me tell you how you know that. Have you ever thought for yourself, maybe I'm the only person who thinks this way. Why would Joshua send spies in again? We know how that worked out last time, right? I mean, Joshua was one of the spies. He saw what happened. Well, we can only infer, we just learned that God said, hey, do not go to the left or the right for my word. That in some ways, God led him to send those spies in. Okay, so if you're the spies, have you ever wondered, why did they go to a prostitute's house? Why to Rahab's house? Of all the places they could have gone in the entire city of Jericho. Now, Common sense would say, well, that's probably the one place you wouldn't get noticed. Foreign guys at a prostitute's house, probably a safe bet. Okay. You ever wondered why they got found out? Why did God allow that? Why did God allow them to be seen by the king almost immediately? There's only one explanation. God was after Rahab. He went there for her. She was his, and he was going to claim her as his own. Grace and mercy in abundance on her. It's very much like Jesus when he said he had to go to Samaria to meet the Samaritan woman. He didn't have to send the spies in. None of this had to happen. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, goes to what we would consider the worst of the worst of the worst. And he lets the spies get found out. So she's got to make a choice and talk about her faith. Because she had a very difficult choice. They would kill her if they found out what she did. She'd be dead for treason because she's betraying her people to hide them. And so she goes to them and says, here's what I know about your God. And four times she calls him Lord. And that word was a word reserved for the Jews for God. She knew it. She claimed it. The Lord, your God, the Lord of heaven and earth. She showed her faith in what God had revealed to her. She hides them, tells them where to go. They have this conversation and God saves her and her whole family. Because I'm doing this for you out of faith, will you please do this for me and my family? And they give her a picture. Tie the scarlet cord in your window so everyone will have no doubt that it points exactly to the Passover. The scarlet blood on the door frames, a scarlet cord in the window that when we come, that we will come and save you and your family. God was after her. He loved her. He wanted her. So he went after her with his people. He rescued her, saved her. But even more than that, he made her his child. Not just physically saved her, but spiritually. How do we know? 
Because this is not the last time you're going to find Rahab in the Bible. You'll see her in the book of James when she is proclaimed, she is encouraged by her faith. You're going to find her in Hebrews 11, which we read, which is the hall of faith. You don't find Joshua there, but you'll find Rahab there in what she did. But maybe most amazingly of all, the place you'll find Rahab is in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God said, not only am I going to save you and make you a footnote in history, I'm going to make you a part of the largest story that there ever is and ever was. I'm going to use a Gentile Amorite prostitute to bring my perfect son into the world. That he may save her and everyone else that the entire earth might be blessed through her offspring. Someone who didn't deserve it at all, had nothing to claim on her own behalf like Joshua might. And yet God uses her just the same. Used them both, commended them because of their faith. Because no matter what their circumstances or what they believe or what they knew or what they understood, God claimed them and God used them and used even the pittance of faith that they may have had to glorify himself. All that happens from this point on happened because Joshua was faithful to what God called him to do and because Rahab was faithful to what God called her to do. That these two people will change the course of history of this entire book because they live lives of faith. And they said, no matter what the world throws at us, God is more, God is better. His presence is enough for me. Is his presence enough for you? If that's all we get is more of him, is that enough? Is that enough for me? Do I have the faith to live lives like they lived for him?